So today we, we will deal with the, the few questions of uh, some of you. And uh, these questions are just to clarify about our practice, meditation practice, so you can continue to meditate. No? And we can uh, just keep the, the atmosphere of meditation when we are uh, trying to, uh, to, to understand a little bit more about these questions. Huh? But also like the Sutta Mayapanya and the Chinta Mayapanya, it has a role in the practice. And then now the encountering of uh, questions and uh, response or uh, discussion is also part of our growth into knowledge. So uh, let's see it like that. Hmm? So first I would like to start with a quotation because there is a, a question related to sickness and pain and things like this. So there is a nice uh, a reference here and it's talking about uh, a few cases where uh, actually monks or many, uh, many people, I mean you have a few cases that are personal cases where people got sick uh, and then uh, with a very uh, acute suffering, and then what is happening? What were the advice to the Buddha? So you might have read uh, some of these texts, but here we have a couple of them in the Sangyutta Nikaya, and then one of them refers to, uh, uh, to the disciple named Asaji. Also, Asaji, if you remember, if you don't mind, uh, uh, remind you something, was the, the one of the first disciples of the Buddha who got... Uh, he got, he got enlightened to some extent. Huh? And then he was the one that, that Sariputta met on the way. Huh? And then Sariputta, when he was still not yet Sariputta, was looking for uh, the truth and he was looking for a path and a practice. And then he had met that person who had just come from passing sometimes with the Buddha. And he asked him about the Buddha's teaching. And uh, the, then the Asaji explained to Sariputta what was, in brief, uh, the teachings of the Buddha. So then, uh, in the whole story, then that Asaji disappeared. But here, in the text, we see him at the last moment of his life. And actually, it's uh, that at the time when he was uh, actually ill and uh, suffering. So the story is uh, a little bit standard, st stand standardized, you know, uh, the way that it is uh, described, but uh, still, I mean... Uh, because you have repetitions here. So on one now the, on one occasion the blessed one was dwelling at Rajaga in the bamboo grove, the squirrel sanctuary. Now on that occasion the venerable Asaji was dwelling at Kasapakas uh, Park, sick, afflicted, gravely ill. And then the, the then it refers to the previous sutta where you have the same situation and. Uh, so then the repetition is that the, 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 the blessed one eventually meets him uh, and then uh, he, 
he, he tells to the sick person, he asadi, and then also to uh, a few other uh, persons, you know, that were sick, but not in the same place, oh, in the previously. <laughs> so, I hope you are, are you, I hope you are bearing up vakali. I hope you are getting better, better, not not better, Be <laughs> because I mix I mix with vakali and then asadi, so it doesn't matter. It speaks about a person then. The reference is, I mean, Vakali, and then, but actually I'm talking about Asaji. Uh, so, I hope you are bearing up Asaji. I hope you are getting better. I hope that your painful feelings are subsiding and not increasing, and that their subsiding, uh, not their increase, is to be discerned. Wilbur, sir, I am not bearing up. I am not getting better. Strong, painful feelings are increasing in me, not subsiding. And their increase, not their subsiding, is to be discerned. I hope then, Vakali, that you are not troubled by remorse and, and regret. Indeed, I have quite a lot of remorse and regret. So I hope, Vakali, that you are that you have nothing for which to reproach yourself in regard to virtue. I have nothing verbal to, uh, for which to reproach myself in regard uh, to virtue. And then, uh, anyway, this is his personal story. But then the, the first check-up, you know, the Buddha of the Buddha in regard to, the, to that person is if he has any regret or if he has any kind of thing that troubles him. Huh? mentally by way of uh, by way of virtue but coming back to Asaji then the same story is uh, is narrated but uh, uh, when he asked him why are you troubled because he was troubled actually by remorse and regret no? so Asaji was very sick and then also with a lot of pain and the Buddha asked him uh, and then he was also troubled by remorse and regret. So the Asaji tells the Buddha, formerly, Venerable Sir, when I was ill, uh, when he was sick, I kept on tranquilizing the bodily form formations, but now I do not obtain concentration. As I do not obtain concentration, it, co it occurs to me, let me not fall away. Then the reply of the Buddha is, those ascetics and Brahmins, Asaji, who regard concentration as the essence and identify concentration with asceticism, failing to obtain concentration, might think, let us not fall away. And then he goes on to, the Buddha uh, tells him how to face up the pain. But here, the, the, the thing is that uh, Asaji oh, had a very, a very strong concentration and his, his practice was based on Samadhi. And uh, uh, before, when his practice was very strong, his very strong, if, if a painful feeling or sickness uh, was to arise, he was able to, to, to step away from that and, and, and with this concentration, just not feel, not, not be troubled by that. No? So with the concentration, he was able 
to cut off the, 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 the feeling of pain because concentration is so blissful that at some point the, what you feel in the body is not important at all. The concentration, you are, you are almost like in a, in, in a trance, so strong it can be. But, uh, but here, uh, his, concent- his sickness was so uh, uh, grave that he could not get again his concentration and then he was into trouble and he didn't know actually what to do. And then, then the Buddha says that concentration is not the essence of the practice. It doesn't mean that we don't need to, con- to, to develop concentration. It doesn't mean also that concentration is not part of the practice, but it is not the essence of it. It is just a tool and it can be very useful. Actually, it can be very, uh, I mean, very, it, it can be very u- useful. And then the, the, the way that the Buddha uh, the direct the, 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 the sick monk is that uh, by way of meditation, and then he asks him, what do you think is a form, body or matter? Permanent or impermanent, and then impermanent, and then. So he goes with the five uh, aggregates and then he asks if it is a permanent and permanent and suffering or or, or not suffering and or self and not self and things like this. Uh, anyway, it's just like uh, it's not the full quotation here, and then it, it, it gives a reference somewhere, and uh, I am not very consistent to to find it ba- back and forth. Oh, you can t- you can take the book and then read it at leisure, and then have, have the whole picture for yourself later on. Mm-hmm. It's just to give you the reference, but uh, it ends up like uh, if he feels a pleasant feeling, he understands it is impermanent. He understands it is not held to, he understands, it is not delighted in. If he feels a painful feeling, he understands, it is impermanent, he understands, it is not held to, he understands, it is not delighted in. Uh, If he feels an either painful nor pleasant feeling, he understands, it is impermanent, he understands, it is not held to, he understands, it is not delighted in. And then he feels he feels it detached, whatever feeling. And then even when he feels a feeling terminating, terminating with the body, he understands. I feel a feeling terminating with the body. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so 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 uh, the th- the thing is that uh, the person is not out of experience, but becomes so much in the experience of living the five aggregates, but with the eyes of insight that the person is able to detach himself from the experience. That means you can feel and then also you, you can experience all these things, but you are not so much affected by that. And in the feeling, there is just the feeling. There is not the conceptualization of uh, of uh, my feeling or my body or my sickness and things and, and, and stuff like that. So the the question the question is uh, is uh, I have heard that when concentration is strong, sensations in the body perceived as pain 
are not present. So we see, we have seen here, that uh, if concentration is strong, then sens the sensations in the body perceived as pain, they are not present. Can you talk to that relationship of concentration and the absence of bodily pain? So when concentration is very strong, then it is so powerful that the, what, what is happening in the body, it does, not, uh, it, do, it does not affect the mind. And the mind is so blissful and so happy that actually the, the, the body is, is, uh, may not be felt at all, or if it's felt, it, it's felt in a very uh, pleasant way. And uh, the, the, the practical question is, any suggestions about relating to chronic pain, body pain, in everyday life when concentration decreases? So maybe this has to refer to that. That means when, if the pain is just there, if you are sick or even if you have a chronic illness, then instead of uh, seeing the pain as your pain or thinking that the pain shouldn't be there, then just uh, be outside of the experience, then you are just with the experience as feeling or uh, as uh, feeling or experience of the physical, the, the physical elements. So you are just, you just stay with, uh, you just stay with the experience. So the problem is that uh, we make a problem out of the pain. So we don't want to have pain, and then it becomes a problem. But it becomes a problem because of our desire. The desire is based on the, on, uh, on the expectation that uh, it will be better sometime. But uh, we cannot control sometimes these situations. And then just by being with them, by seeing them in other ways, that means as much as objectively as possible without interpreting it, then it's, much, it's a little bit easier to be with uh, difficult situations, in, 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 even with uh, chronic illness and also to the point of uh, facing uh, gravely uh, diseases and also at the time of death, because most of the time, at the time of death, of course, now we, uh, medicine has, a, a lot, uh, has improved a lot with the painkillers and things like this. So you have uh, some, it's, it's so, it's so uh, refined that uh, people can die without any pain of, uh, pain of uh, any feeling. Yeah. But, but still, to die is not, very, uh, is not very agreeable. And then if we are with the feelings themselves, if we don't know how to deal with that, then again, we are uh, creating uh, suffering in the mind. So we can have pain, we can have pain, but we don't need to have pain about the pain. So if there is a problem, there is only one problem. And then we shall try not to make a second problem out of only one problem. So the, pro the problem is chronic pain, that's enough. So we are with it, so we don't make a problem out of the problem. So how can we make uh, Metaphrase like, may I be healthy, credible, if the body is just ailing in pain or even struck with an incurable disease. 
So that uh, metaphrase is not so much credible because actually uh, it's difficult to be healthy as such. But definitely we have some metaphrases that say uh, uh, well, uh, may I be free from affliction, may I be, may I be free from suffering, and also may I, be, uh, may I know how to take care of myself. So, may I be free from suffering. It doesn't mean that suffering is not going to be happening. Eh? And also to take care of ourselves is that uh, as much as possible, we have to take care of our health. And then if we don't take care of our health, then it, go, it will go down and then we will have more suffering. But, uh, but to have a mental attitude towards uh, sickness or towards that body which is so fragile and then we never know when it's going to, uh, uh, to face a very serious illness, then uh, it, makes a, it, it makes the difference. So another question is, very often in the monastery meditation centers of Asia, they recommend to sleep about four and five hours a night. What are the benefits of sleep deprivation? <laughs> so uh, sleep deprivation has no benefit at all. Huh? And then uh, if you look at the, 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 the research that is made about sleep, huh? so you have specialists who are specialists of sleep, so they make research with the brain, and definitely sleep deprivation can cause some kind of unbalance, isn't it? So anyway, uh, does it make sense to practice more but being more sleepy? No. Because being more sleepy means you are more dull, you are, you are less efficient, and then you, you may be a little bit more cloudy just in the dream. So when we are practicing, we should remove sleepiness, but also but we should not uh, deprive ourselves of sleep. So this is a big difference of deprivation and reduce, reduction of sleep. So when we were talking about moderation in eating, it means the middle way, but also moderation in sleep also is the middle way. That means we have to see what we need huh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a source for, to have a rest, huh, and then what we need in relation to our sleep. So some people need more sleep, some people need less sleep. And also when we practice the meditation, then we see that the needs of sleep uh, decreased a lot. Also, we, we can adjust ourselves to, uh, to, to our practice. And then also we can say, okay, now this is the, the correct amount of sleep that I need. Huh? And then uh, I will wake up at that time. And then this is, uh, this is going to be a kind of schedule for me. So at the beginning, maybe you have to make some effort. And, but you, uh, at some point you adjust. But the adjustment is in regard to what you really need uh, relating to the sleep. And, and also like the, the, the deprivation. If you come here from a very busy life and then you had so much of work and responsibilities and worry that you, are, you arrive in a quiet place like that, so very uh, often, most of the time, you need to rest 
for you need to rest a lot so at that time sleep is very uh, necessary and then you should not force yourself just to remain awake and not to sleep because uh, this is not going to be uh, uh, it's not going to have a very good result but definitely in the in the centers or monasteries or practices in the in the in the monasteries in asia then purposely they reduce the amount of sleep that uh, that they have, but they, they reduce it uh, gradually. And some people sometimes, you know, I mean, as a practice, they don't sleep at all, all the time. So you have an ascetic practice where uh, the, the, the person who takes it then does not lie down. So all the time, day and night, the person is just sitting or just standing. So of course, you will be uh, going in a kind of uh, uh, sleep when he is, he is sitting, but still, the, the, the awareness of uh, the wakefulness will be there throughout and the sleeps maybe uh, definitely will be reduced. So to be devoted to wakefulness, when it is taught in the sutta, that means throughout the day and throughout the night, also even during the night, then you are much more wakeful. That means you, you become much more aware of what is happening in the mind throughout the day and then also throughout the night. And this is uh, maybe what is more important, to be conscious a bit more, even uh, sometimes even in our dreams, we, we can keep that, uh, uh, that type of awareness. So we have a lot of questions and uh, I took about 20 minutes to reply to the first one. So if at any time, like at five o'clock, I will tell you any time if you uh, get a little bit uh, uh, bored or fed up, then you can just leave as you wish. So here we have an important question, like uh, it is very important to understand the terms and the words we are using when we are communicating with each other. Otherwise, we don't understand what we say. So if you tell something and I don't understand, then I will ask you, what is the meaning? And the same thing, if you don't understand what I say, you should ask the meaning. So uh, here the, the, the questions is that, uh, is the structure of object, objective supposed to be for our theoretical understanding or for self-guidance? during meditation, or both. If it is for self-guidance, please work us through some suitable meditation stream of consciousness awareness. So the explanation that were given, they were good, but they were not very, uh, they, were, they were very quick. And also the same, I think, yes, the, the, the same person asked also, there is some confusion developing around the multiple uses of the word object. Perhaps it will help to list and define them to clarify how the word is used in various contexts. So... Uh, if you have the, if you if you don't have, never mind. But uh, if you remind the charts that uh, that were given to you, then we have in various places uh, the 
the, the, the object is named. So I will quote them you know, and then I will say to what it refers. But definitely these things has to be, uh, has to be practical. So on the page two, we have the, the distance from the object. Huh? And then together with the four modes of mindfulness. So I will go with the, each of the modes of mindfulness and then I will describe what objects mean here. So when we have governing the sense faculties, huh, we see that uh, the, the box here and then the object here, the distance is very wide. Huh? The, the distance is very wide. So what object here, what does it mean? So the object here, relating to governing the sense faculty, it refers to the experience. Huh? Because the objects of the senses are also occurring in, in, in relation to the consciousness that is aware of it and also in regard to the sense that is, that is being perceiving it, that, that is, uh, how to say, like uh, that is being in contact with it. So, for example, if you look at something, then you have the visual object, and then you have the eye, sensitivity, and then you have the consciousness. So the three, these three things refers to the experience, and this is contact, this is passa. So, the objects in rel relating to the governing of the, of the sense faculties, it refers to the external five objects, but also to the mind and body process itself. So it refers to, to you in relation to these objects. Huh? So the distance you need to have is in regard to the experience. So governing the sense faculties means that you don't look too close at the experience of the sense stimuli. You are just a little bit far away and then you are just in very general, in a very general way, you, you, you are aware of oh, there is sound, there is, there is sight and then there is touch, there is smell. And so you don't go into the details, you are not so close to the experience of the sense uh, encounter. Also, there is a kind of objectivity that is being developed and also that objectivity, that type of distance that you have towards the experience gives you the possibility just to be there and not to be affected by it because the, 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 the aim, the objective of uh, governing the sense faculties is just to protect the mind so that the mind does not get polluted with, with all these, the, these things that come from inside, polluted or, or, or you know, tainted with, uh, with greed or aversion or, or ignorance. So the fact of uh, keeping some distance uh, helps you not to allow them to enter the mind to the extent that you will be disturbed uh, by them. And then on the second mode of mindfulness, then mindfulness and clear comprehension. So then we see that uh, the box is a little bit closer to the object. So here the object again refer 
to the objects themselves, but also it refers to the body, like the, the senses are related to the body. So when you are developing mindfulness and clear comprehension in this, situ in this situation, you are a bit closer to the, to the physical activities and then also to the experience of it. So you are just there, huh? but just to the extent of knowing what you are doing. So you are moving, you are eating, and then you are looking and things like this. You are just clearly comprehending what is happening and then also what, uh, for which purpose uh, the, the activities of the body uh, are being performed. So there is a, a little bit, you are closer a little bit to the object and the object represents uh, yourself as well. In the case of Samatha, uh, we see that uh, the box is very close to the objects. So here, the objects refers to the object of mind. Uh, because in Samatha meditation, then the subject of meditation comes to be perceived as an object. So if you practice metta, uh, for example, then you have, you have the idea uh, of a human being or any kind of being. So the, the, the being becomes the object of your consciousness, become your, the object of your, of your uh, meditation, the object of your mind. If you are observing the breath, then the breath itself is the object of your mind. And uh, all, with all these subjects of meditation, there is an object on which the mind depends. So, uh, regarding Samatha meditation, then the purpose of it is just to get, to develop concentration and then to get a very tranquil and very, uh, uh, very close to the object, just to, to, to eventually become, you know, they, they, they develop such a type of uh, harmony and then also unity that you become one with the object, so you, you become absorbed in the object, that's, wh that, that's why uh, we see that uh, in the Samatha uh, section, in the, the, in the Samatha mode of mindfulness, then the object and uh, the mind, huh? the, 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 the subject, huh? so the subject, which is yourself, the mind, is in or is very, very close to the object. And at the point of deep concentration, then the mind comes in the object, sink in the object, or the object just swallow the mind. So you are just, the mind is in the object, or the, the object uh, is completely in the mind. So here it refers to the object of, uh, of, of the, it refers to the object of meditation. In the case of the Vipassana, the mode of mindfulness, then, uh, there is no full absorption in the objects for the simple reason that vipassana has and will always need to have the uh, an analytic, uh, analytical uh, observation. It will always analyze and also, I mean to some extent, but also always use the initial application of the mind and also the sustaining application of the mind. That means vitaka and vichara that we spoke the other day will always need to be there in the case of uh, the vipassana. But since the vipassana, the, 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 the mind of insight, is a mind that is investigating, then if you want to investigate something, 
then you have to look at it and then oh, and do like this and then do like that. So you cannot absorb completely in the object. You have to, to have some distance. But at this time, we see that the box is very close to the object because the mind of the vipassana is very sharp and then has the possibility to take the object and look at it very, very carefully and to see really the, 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 its characteristics in a, deep, in, in a deep way. So that's why it's not so far, but it's not in, in, in the object. Huh? It's not a complete absorption. You are just so closely looking at, at the thing that, uh, that uh, you have that, uh, that distance. So anyway, here, the object of the vipassana will be all kinds of phenomena, huh? external objects or the objects, your, your body or your mind or whatever is happening can be the object of insight, meditation. So the, the question also uh, suggests that uh, I give some example. So I think for governing the sense faculties, is it, uh, is it do you understand? Do you need an explanation? How, how the, what is the distance, what, what is the distance of the governing of the sense faculties towards the object? Also you are not so close to it. That means you are just aware of the senses, and then you 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 are not you are not deeply involved in that. Is that clear? Yes. So um, I think I, I, I hope it is clear. And then also in the case of samatha, then we see that uh, the, the the mind really is very close to it, and then the mind completely absorbed, and then is with the object. And then also in the case of vipassana, which all objects can be included there, then there is the uh, uh, slight uh, aspect of distance there that, that gives us the possibility to analyze properly. So on the page 7, then there is another mention of the object which can also be uh, differentiated. And it's about, uh, we have here, uh, we have here the one box is uh, object meditation and then the other box is process meditation. So the explanation here is given down with the note. So the object meditation refers to seeing the object's uh, particular characteristic. That means whatever object is brought to our mind, then we see uh, its a specific characteristic, its uh, particular characteristic. Huh? And then when we uh, when we we are in the vipassana, then the what is seen is not the particular characteristic, but the general characteristic. That means we just see. Uh, the objects, there are no more objects, they are objects of the mind, but they are seen as a process. So this is the difference. So the particular characteristic in object meditation will deal mostly with the concepts of things. Oh, like this is a table, this is a book, and then 
all these things are a little bit conceptual, whereas the process meditation you just see arising and passing away. It is just an impermanent flux of uh, energy. So this is the difference here with the process and object meditation. And then the use of uh, object and objective that I also brought into the explanation, it is uh, object and objective is a mere simplification of the objectification of experience considered in relation to its object. That's again, it's a little bit complicated, but uh, Or it's a it's a mere complication of the objectification uh, uh, of the objectification, hmm? but actually it is just a si I just want to simplify the relationship that we have with the object and also what has to be done what has to be done with uh, the object. So you you objectify uh, you objectify the experience uh, the experience. Uh, of the object, like we have seen that the object actually is just yourself, and then also the external objects. So uh, the experience is considered in a relation to its subject, huh? but also it comes to mean uh, what has to be done with it. That means the goal and the purpose. I hope you understand. Maybe my hope is too much. Or do you get an idea? Do you understand? Generally. <laughs> like this morning I tried to simplify the thing. Like uh, we have uh, like we have the object, that means this is our situation, this is the now, what we are experiencing. Huh? And then the objective is just to understand that situation. Now the object has become described as the situation. Hmm? So we speak about the situation of this mind and body. So the object is mind and body together with everything that is happening around it. So this is the object. And then the objective in regard to that object is, okay, now, that situation that we are in now, what shall I do about it? Which type of mindfulness should I adopt in regard to it? So if I am very disturbed and then very uh, stimulated with all kinds of things, then it's not the time to look very closely at the objects and then or to try to concentrate. It's the time to relax and then to keep some distance for, from what is happening and then just guard the sense doors in general. So you don't care so much, but you are just aware that sense objects, also the, 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 the impressions that you get from them, does not you know, invade your mind 
with uh, states of greed or hatred or delusion. So this is the objective. So the objective is actually to to understand the situation and then also to adopt to adapt the, the type of mindfulness, the mode of mindfulness that is suitable for that specific situation. So we have object, huh, situation, and then the objective, which we, which is uh, in relation to that uh, that specific uh, uh, situation. So thank you for the question. It was a very important and. Uh, uh, and then we, we, we need to at, at least understand what is uh, spoken about in this uh, in this explanation. So here another question: Could you please explain the difference, if any, between the equanimity? that accompanies vipassana, its insight, and its insight, such as sankara upekanyana, and the equanimity of the brahma-vihara, in terms of the qualities they bring to the mind and also the benefits in daily life. So here the question relates to what is the difference of the equanimity that is that we have with the practice of vipassana. So when we are practicing vipassana, then uh, there is two, like also, if you like a very precise definition of the word equanimity in given and explained in a different context, then we have the reference in the Visuddhimagga, but I, I, uh, it will take me maybe 15 minutes or 20 minutes to, 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 to find it. Eh? I can find it for you, but now I didn't have the time. Huh? And then I will just deal with this one uh, briefly. So we have the type of equanimity in regard to the six senses. So we are experiencing things, huh? we are experiencing the things huh? in contact with the six senses. And then in regard to the six senses, when the vipassana mind is looking at that, then there is a type of equanimity. So it's called the equanimity regarding the sense, six senses. Also, with the practice of the vipassana, there comes a time when the mind is so observative, like upeka, huh? this is upeka, upeka sankara upeka, so the word upeka, equanimity, means it comes from uh, upa and then ikseti, that means upa can, can mean to uh, a little bit above, a little bit upper, huh? and then ikseti is to look, that means you are looking from a different standpoint, you are looking from above, huh? and that means also that the mind is very balanced, and the, the, the quality of observation is it's not indifferent, but it, it is very uh, it is very uh, objective, or it is very equanimous. So, uh, in the case of the equanimity in regard to the formation no, that happens in the vipassana, sankara upekanyana. Then it's another type of equanimity. Huh? But the, the question is about that equanimity of vipassana, sankara upekanyana, and then the equanimity of the brahma vihara. So the quality, uh, they are a little bit different. 
So the, the quality of the fourth jhana, also when someone is developing concentration, like very strong samadhi, then there, there comes a point where the mind is really equanimous towards uh, the object. But that equanimity is based on a very strong concentration. So of course it is very peaceful and then there is no, you are not affected by uh, PT and sukha and things like this and then it is very stable. Huh? But uh, it is very much conditioned and also it depends on these conditions to be there. Like it depends on the strong concentration that has been built with the previous jhana. So it is uh, quite much uh, conditioned. So this is, so the, the strength of it it's very powerful because the, the mind is so concentrated that it, 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 does not get, it, it, it does not become disturbed and it's completely absorbed in the object. No disturbances. The mind is just absorbed in the object with full balance and full equanimity. So this is the, this is the, the, the quality of it. So compared to the quality of the vipassana, huh? of the equanimity of the vipassana, since the equanimity of the, the, the vipassana is in direct uh, contact with the experience, then the mind is not shaken. So the quality of equanimity there, the unshakability of the mind, the perfect equipose of the mind is in relation to the experience. And then the experience is changing all the time. So somehow it is much more difficult to keep that equanimity to the experience, which is always in the flux because we cannot control it. So, uh, in a way, although it may not be as strong as a, a, and powerful as for the, the strength of the mind, still it is much more stable because whatever is happening, the mind is completely equanimous. So that's why also uh, I think like the benefits in daily life will be much more if you are able to develop the equanimity related to the six senses. That means if you are able to develop the equanimity of the vipassana, because whatever objects come within your experience, then you don't care so much. You are just aware of it, and then you can keep a complete balance of the mind. Another question is, among meditators who diligently try to develop samatha in conjunction with the gradual training, what difference do you observe between meditators who realize some degree of mastery in the practice of jhana and those who do not? So the main question is that, uh, what is the difference with meditators who realize some kind of mastery in the jhana and those who are not uh, mastering the jhana. So the, the main difference will be that uh, someone who has a mastery over the jhana means has a mastery over his mind. So the mind is much more disciplined, the mind is much more concentrated. And if the mastery is there, if the mastery also is kept, then it can be, use, it can be useful for any kind of things. Whatever the person wants to do, then the mastery will help 
to uh, to keep the mind very uh, much in order because you are you are able to master these uh, states of mind but still it depends of uh, uh, like uh, what is the difference we, with those who have the mastery and those who have not the mastery of the jhanas. So we spoke about the equanimity related to the vipassana, huh? just the previous question, equanimity related to the vipassana and then the equanimity related to the, uh, to the jhana. So if we compare those meditators that have mastery over the practice of jhana, together with those who have actually a very high level of vipassana, then, uh, then, then there will be a huge difference because, because the mastery of the practice of jhana is not permanent. If conditions are changing, like we see, we saw the, the, the example of Asaji at the beginning, he was a master of jhana, huh? but he lost that mastery because he got so sick and then so weak. He could not master his jhana anymore. So when the, 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 the mastery of the jhana disappears, then uh, we will, in, in this case, huh, then, then someone who has the mastery or someone who has uh, the, 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 uh, the upeka of the, of the vipassana, Will will have will have can be differentiated because the wisdom will be there, and then the wisdom will will give the possibility to uh, uh, well to deal to deal with the thing properly. So you spoke also about the landing when using the simile of flying at wha and what can happen of the wheels. And what can happen if the wheels are not put out in the transition to daily life? Could you please uh, say a bit more about how to land safely in daily life as well as during the meditation process? So the the example was about uh, about the, the plane that is landing, and although the plane may have very good wheels, if the, the if the wheels are not put down, then the plane will will crash when the, when it is landing down. So the comparison can be done <laughs> with uh, the retreat context of meditation, and then the return of daily life. So that means in meditation, we sometimes we can we can get so high, and then we can have very deep insight, and it's just. Uh, it is not necessarily grounded in the actual practical practicality of daily life. This is this is uh, this will be the difference. So so the the wheels themselves uh, that we need to have when we are in daily life are seen, however, in the gradual training. That means if we know how to use the steps of governing the senses and then also mindfulness and clear comprehension, then there is absolutely no difference with the retreat context or your daily life. So if you know how to practice governing the sense faculty, guarding the mind, protecting the mind here, and also clear comprehension, if you practice that here, then you will not have 
such a gap in your daily life. You see, because what is the difference in daily life? Here, of course, it's much more, uh, everything is organized, you don't need to cook, you don't need to do anything, everything is ready, and then everything is so fine, you don't need to worry about the plumbing or anything. You just have to meditate, but still, you are walking, still you are eating, still you have to wash your plate, and then still you, are, you have a little bit of work to do every day. So, uh, so on a basic level, then it's the same thing. It's just that in, bili- in, b- in daily life, activities will be a little bit more fast. But it doesn't matter. If you know how to handle the thing properly, and then also how to guard your mind, then in daily life there will be, uh, there will be much less uh, difficulties. Of course, transition will be there, but still, if the basic is there, then you will not have so much problems. Also, the wheels, they refer to the quality of the, of, uh, of the mind, the quality of, the, of your physical actions, and also the quality of your verbal actions. Uh, so this is aspects of sila. So if your sila is good, like in retreat, you have the possibility to get a perspective on your daily life, and then you know, like now you are doing a research, um, it's kind of research, you know, okay, now I have to improve this aspect of my daily life. I have to, to, to do a little bit less of that, and then to do a little bit more of this, and then I have to... So you have a perspective on your daily life in regard to... Uh, to many things, and then when you are coming back, then you adjust it, and then you change it, and then, then it's much easier. So this is the advantage of uh, being outside of your daily life, so that you can have some kind of insight. But these insights have to be uh, practical. So if you know how to change the the, 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 the modes of mindfulness when necessary, then you know the object. That means you know the situation you are in. In daily life, in the retreat, you start by where you are. You are in trouble, you are in trouble. You are peaceful, you are peaceful. Wherever you are in your life, this is where you start. So depending on the conditions, you know, physical and then mental, then you will know your objective. So the objective will be to be balanced and then to do the best thing out of it. But the understanding will depend on uh, seeing clearly the situation in which you are. So then there won't be uh, uh, so much of a gap. If you are are proceeding properly with the steps, if you think that uh, meditation and also the spiritual practice is just when you go to a center and then you sit very quietly <laughs> with the, uh, other meditators and then you go very concentrated in jhana and that's all you know about meditation oh, and you think then your dependence that you have in regard to the retreat conditions will be very strong because definitely when you go back to daily life then the, your, your possibility of getting concentrated and then also to be so quiet will not be there. So concentration definitely will be difficult to keep. And then what do you do if you don't have these conditions? If you don't know what to do when these conditions are not there. So this is what we try to learn. And also this is what we try to adapt also in our retreat. That means sometimes when there is a lot of agitation or sometimes when there is a lot of turmoil or uh, turbulence in the mind, then we know that it's not the time to 
look closely at the object or it's not the time really to, 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 to strive for something that is a little bit out of context. It's the time just to relax, it's the time just to observe and then to see what will be the adequate response to that uh, situation. So now it is five o'clock. Hmm? It is completely up to you to take a break uh, and then to continue your, the meditation on your own. If you are interested, then you can leave anytime. You are not, uh, you are not impolite. Huh? We are all on ourselves. We are not interested and then we prefer to continue our meditation. We don't have specific questions and then we just go. Okay? But, uh, However, I will continue with a few questions. Please feel completely comfortable. Huh? Here there is a question about the intensifying factors. Oh, we spoke about the five jhana factors. So as sukha is not classified as a mental factor, oh, we spoke about uh, the five jhana factors, uh, and then vitaka vichara piti sukha ekagata. So here, as sukha is not classified as a mental factor, like piti, but as a feeling tone, is it then a Vedana and therefore a mental aggregate. So yes, the Sukha of the five jhana factors refers to the aggregate of Vedana. And then the Piti, uh, the joy or the, 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 the bliss, then it's also uh, part of the mental aggregates, uh, but the aggregates of Sankara. So uh, in some cases here, Piti is related to the class of the mental aggregates uh, of which Sankara. So we have four mental aggregates, the Vedana, Sanya, uh, Vijnana and Sankara. So the last one, mental formations, has a whole list of mental uh, aggregates, the, um, of mental formations. Uh, so four mental, uh, four mental, four mental aggregates and then many mental factors. So PT, in this case, is a mental factor that fits in the class of, of the mental aggregate of Sankara. Sometimes also PT could be referred as a feeling uh, in the Vedana. But actually, no, I am, I am wrong. It's always part of the mental factor, but it's a kind of feeling, but it's not a Vedana, it's a Sankara. In which way does Ekagata differ from Vitaka and Vichara on the experiential level, as they, are, as they all focus and connect with the object? Or is it the case that Ekagata is the outcome of Vitaka and Vichara? 
So first of all, let's let, let's define uh, Witaka and Wichara. Here I brought a towel because it's easy to uh, to make a demonstration. So the Witaka and Wichara, this is the two hands. Uh, so Witaka is the applying. So you are applying on the towel to your face, and then the Wichara is the constant is the constant uh, sustenance or. Applying and then you sustain. You sustain the application. So, so you apply huh? and then you sustain, right? So the fact of having the towel on your face, this is ekagata. So ekagata refers to the mind being close to the object. So here we have the object, huh? and it can refer to the the object of samatha, the object of meditation. But here I refer to the object as the towel. So. Apply, apply uh, initial application, and then sustaining, and then one pointedness of mind is just like that. So, is it the case that ekagata is the outcome of vitaka and vichara? This is true that ekagata is coming together with application and sustaining. So, it's it's almost the outcome, but the thing is that they come together. Huh? And sometimes you will have only ekagata, that means only one-pointedness of mind, without applying and sustaining. Like if you put your towel like that, and then you don't hold it anymore, <laughs> then this is ekagata, and then vichara, and vitaka is not there anymore. But this type of thing, without the vitaka and vichara, can happen in the jhana. So that means the mind has applied and directed the attention so much on the object, that you don't need the two hands of Vitaka and Vichara. The mind is just with the object. So there is only one-pointedness of mind on the object. So then there is no more dependence on the Vitaka and the the Vichara in this case. So what are the principal differences between the descriptions of the gradual training in the suttas and those in the commentaries? So basically the difference is that the commentaries will be much more detailed. So most of the time the commentaries they are dealing with the suttas. So they take one sutta and then they will just elaborate and elaborate and then put that in various other uh, contexts and explanation they will compare and commentaries is just uh, elaboration it is just an exegesis about uh, about a simple text so it's it's just an elaboration so in relation to the gradual training the principal differences will be like if you look, like you just look at the, the, the path of purification, for example, if when they talk, the Visuddhimagga, when they talk about Sila, then they make a whole list of, uh, you know, very detailed uh, elaboration of what is the Sila, and they divide it uh, with uh, uh, categories. So, so whereas in the, in, the, in the text, then it's not so much uh, precisely defined. And also in regard, for example, the the mindfulness and clear comprehension in the in the sutta mindfulness and clear comprehension just relates to knowing what you are doing huh? just knowing what you are doing that means you are walking and then you know that you are walking and then you are sitting you know you are sitting and then 
like that. It's just uh, kind of uh, general. But in the in the commentaries, uh, mindfulness and clear comprehension is divided in four. Also, the first one is the purpose. And then second one is the suitability. The third one is the domain, that means in relation to the meditation subject. And then the fourth one is the non-delusion, that means when someone is practicing vipassana, then the clear comprehension, the mindfulness and the clear comprehension will not deal with the things as such. You don't necessarily understand uh, the, the things as object and also what has to do with that, but you understand the things just as arising and passing away. So you don't deal anymore with this conceptual uh, view, uh, conceptual perception of, of reality. Huh? So you just see arising and passing away. And then this is the last aspect of uh, uh, clear comprehension is the non-delusion. So you don't see the things as uh, permanent and then also as uh, substantial and uh, uh, satisfying. So another one is, how is it that in the West, the Vipassana, the Vipassana Jhana, like the rising and passing away, Dukkha and strategy, I don't know, as described in the Visuddhimagga, are never taught. So this is a, a, I find the funny question because uh, first of all, you, the, you please give me the reference in the Visuddhimagga where Vipassana Jhana are spoken. Oh, so the term Vipassana Jhana is not used in the commentaries and it's not used also in the Sutta. So why they are never taught? They are taught actually in the West and they are also taught in, in Asia. But uh, they refer to something else. They refer, they refer to the concentration, the Samadhi that you get in the Vipassana. But it's not called the Jhana. It is called the Jhana when on a Abhidhamma uh, evaluation, on an Abhidhamma point of view, then you have the four planes of existence. So one plane is the central plane. Huh? So Kama Vachara. So on that plane, huh, the, the, the plane of the senses, uh, then there can be a type of jhana, huh? but the, that type of jhana is not going to be an absorption compared to the other plane of it, compared to the uh, other uh, plane. Uh, so you have the, the Kama Vachara, then Rupa Vachara, Arupa Vachara, and then uh, Lokuttara. Uh, so that means the central plane, the plane of uh, fine material, uh, fine material, uh, the plane of fine materiality, and then the plane of immaterial and the plane of uh, the Lukutara, that means the supramundane. So the plane of uh, fine materiality is that when someone is developing the jhana, uh, the jhana of samatha, that means you concentrate on uh, the representation of, the, of, of materiality, that like, like the limit of the breath, or you, you, you see uh, you see, you develop the limit of, uh, of, of some kind of materiality and then you get absorbed in that context, in that, uh, in that concept. So this is another type of uh, uh, the jhana that, that, that you can see there. 
but uh, the vipassana, what is the, what is called the the samadhi of vipassana, refers to a momentary concentration. So, what the text use actually to describe the, the 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 samadhi that refers to the vipassana is the kanika samadhi. That means momentary. Uh, concentration, because the object is always changing. The object of vipassana is always a, an object that is related to the six senses. So, because it is a direct experience of these objects, these objects being always changing, they are not stable enough to give you a, a strong concentration where you will go out of the sense sphere. But with the concepts, with the concept, a mental concept, you are able to go out of the sensual sphere. So that's why this is the difference. So here, could you please elaborate on the nimittas of the four Brahma we are, and especially the one concerned with metta. So the nimitta of the Brahma we are is uh, you don't have a nimitta as such, but uh, the nimitta here will refer to the image that you are getting when you are practicing metta, or the image that you are getting when you are practicing the, the, the other uh, Brahma Vihara. That means the image of a being, or at least the, the representation of a being. So this, this is going to be your nimitta. And then when, when that object becomes uh, very clear to your mind, then you depend on that object for your meditation. So you practice, you, you like, like the example was given, okay, now you, you, you start by, by having the picture or the image of someone, or someone you, you like, or someone that comes to your mind, and then the, 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 the feeling of metta is, is uh, arise in regard to that person, and then you, you, develop, you, know, you develop your concentration in regard to the person. So when the the image of the person becomes very clear to your mind, then this is your limita. So it's not a limita as such, since it is always uh, the representation of a person. Also, the representation of the person can also be seen. That means you can have a very clear picture of the person, huh? but sometimes also the limita could be just the felt presence of the person. So some people are not so visual, so don't expect them to have a visual nimitta or a visual image of the person, but they will have a sense, the, 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 the scent, uh, a sense feeling of the presence of the, other, of the other person. So that will be their object. Sometimes also the, 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 the faces of the beings will disappear, and then the person will just have the, 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 the feeling of metta towards the directions in which metta is being, uh, is being uh, developed. No? So then in that case, the, 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 um, the directions themselves are going to be the limita, because in the directions, you perceive the concepts of being. So you, you, you have metta or karuna in relation to all the beings in all the directions. So this is this is, this will be your limita. So here again about the the Brahma Vihara is a uh, 
will you elaborate uh, will will you elaborate a re-merging with the object which then becomes a concept in the mind example anapanasati to quiet breath to nimitta concept of breathing and of ornaments parts of the body So when we are practicing meditation, then we use an object that we know, huh? like we know we are using the breath, we are using the experience of the breath. So based on a, on a real experience of the in-breath and the out-breath, then somehow there is a mental knowing of the breath as a concept, that means as a unit, huh? it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a breath, so we are aware of that. And uh, that awareness becomes to be perceived as a mental image. And then your perception is going to create a different image depending on how it, will, uh, how it is conditioned. So at some point, the, the initial uh, object of your meditation comes to be perceived as a, a pure concept on which the mind can depend and then on which the mind can develop a very strong concentration. So, for example, with the, with the body parts, no? so suppose you are doing all the anatomy of your body and then the bones and then the teeth and then the, the hair. And so, these are real components of, of, of your body. No? But when you do it like this, at some point, you start to get an image of that body part. So, that image of the body parts comes to be your limiter. And then you just keep that in mind and then you just... You just the mind get absorbed, or the mind just uh, go again, again to that image, and then the concentration gets build, build up. But uh, in regard to the four elements, no? so if someone is practicing the body meditation, and then the person comes to experience the body as just the sensations, the sensations actually are just the characteristics of the physical elements. So you are sitting here, you are experiencing heat, or you are experiencing cold. This is the element of heat, the element of temperature. Or you are sitting here, and then you are experiencing heaviness, and then or very light, or you are experiencing also the movement, the all the energy, the flowing. Huh? So all these things, these characteristics, uh, based on the sensations, can be uh, classified by way of the four elements. So someone who is practicing the body meditation with the four elements as uh, the subject, then will not develop the nimitta because the experience itself, the experience of these characteristics of heat, cold, pushing, uh, heaviness, and then lightness, uh, and uh, liquidity, and all that, refers to the direct experience. So it cannot lead to the full jhana, to the full absorption, but it can lead to a very high degree of concentration, which is going to be used for the vipassana. Do you understand that?
So it is just a, it is just different. It's not conceptual. Huh? So if you have been sitting here for a long time, then you feel maybe heat in your back or you feel pain. Huh? So the pain actually is just the sensation that is happening due to the interactions of diverse elements. Huh? So then you, you, you start to have a lot of heat there and also a lot of pressure. So the pressure, the evenness, is, uh, is the physical elements. Right? So if you stay with that, with that experience, then you, n you, you don't get a very high concentration, but you get concentration to, to, some, uh, to, some, uh, to some level. So, but you cannot uh, merge in the object because the object actually, if you look at it very closely, the object just dissolves. It's not, uh, it's not solid. Huh? So the more you are with the elements, the more you see that actually it is just a field of energy. It is just, it just all field of forces, of uh, different combinations of uh, physical elements. Uh, so there is a degree of, of, of possibility with the different meditation subjects that you, that you choose to do. Whereas if you like, if you use a concept in the mind, then the mind just get absorbed in that concept, in that person that you love or that you that you have developed uh, meta or karuna. You get the mind gets really absorbed in in that concept. Or also, if you develop anapanasati, then the concept of the breath or the the, the knowing of the breath, the mind comes to be absorbed in that representation of what is the the breath. So this is the, the, the slight difference. So here a simple question is, how might the experience of a path moment be different from flusion or fruition? So the path experience, uh, it's, always, it's always new. So when someone experiences magga, huh? When someone experiences the, 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 the path, when, uh, when the meditation goes well, then this is the one moment. And then the fruition, the fruition, that means the fruit of it, is just the following moments. So this is the difference. The path moment is just the first time you experience the st specific stage of, uh, of awakening. And then the following moments, they are just the fruition. So this, is, this will be the difference. But the fruition of the first path moment will be different uh, there, there will be different with the second path moment. So the second path moment will be a little bit higher than the first path moment, and then uh, there will be different. There will be difference there. So you can uh, we can give you a reference in the book if you like to have more uh, details. But uh, that will be that will that will be it for now. So if you are patient enough, then I think just uh, two or three questions, they don't seem very complicated. Just like the mind knows mindfulness is present in each moment of mindfulness, does the mind know thinking in each moment of planning, strategizing, etc.? So just like the mind knows mindfulness is present so just like the mind the mind knows mindfulness is present in each moment 
of mindfulness. So does the mind knows thinking in each moment of planning, strategizing and, and all of that? Yes, but uh, actually if we look at it, then mindfulness cannot be mindful of itself. So when you are mindful, you can be mindful of just the previous moment that just happened, the, 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 the previous moment. So you are mindful, but actually that mindfulness is just a very close uh, past, just the, the, just the previous past. Hmm? So you can be mindfulness of mindfulness. And then also the mindfulness itself, that, 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 that quality of, of knowing and being present to what is happening, huh? Uh, can be done in regard to anything. So, uh, in each moment, as much as, as you are able to be mindful of a moment, and also as much as you are able to be mindful of a pre of mindfulness, uh, you are mindful of mindfulness. That means you are mindful of a previous of a just previous moment of mindfulness. So, to that much, you are able to be mindful of a moment where there is thinking, where there is planning, and then where, where the, where, when there is uh, all kinds of uh, mental qualities. So mindfulness, if it is done, if it is uh, developed uh, properly, can also be applied in daily life. So also in daily life, it's the same thing. You are mindful of what you are doing, and then you are mindful that you had not been mindful of the present moment, or you are mindful that you have been mindful in the present moment, or you are mindful that now actually you are here, but actually you are planning, or you are you are thinking, and then you are you are doing all kinds of things. No? So you can be mindful of whatever manifests itself in the mind. So sometimes after investigating arising and passing away of thoughts and mind states, presents absence, causes for arising, causes of passing away, causes for not arising in the future. I cannot see clearly how to adjust and support the future non-arising. Can you offer thoughts about that? So, is that in relation to... It is in relation to the hindrances or it is in relation to anything? Anything, huh? So in anything, like for example, the entrances, uh, just take the entrances. So we are aware of kama chanda, we are aware of sense desire, for example, uh, if there is sense desire there. So we are aware, now sense desire is there. So we see its presence, we see its, its absence, and then also we see the causes for its arising. So by closely looking at what is happening, somehow we see what has caused that happening. So the close observation of something always brings a principle of causality in that, because the moment is not a static entity. The moment actually is a, what is called historic, historical moment. So it's, it's always related to the past and also to the future to, the, to some extent. So if we look very carefully, we, we know Okay, now this is arising, but actually this is arising because of a cause. So, uh, knowing, knowing the cause for the non-arising, uh, so we know that when the cause is not there, uh, 
So if you think like now you, you start to to develop the meditation and then you, you again you know you, the sensuality that might have arisen in your mind is not there anymore and then you have understood why it has arisen and then you switch your attention to to either the, the it's arising and passing away or the, the, the impermanence of it or you switch the attention to some something else. So when you switch the attention to something else, then it is non arising. And then you have understood, oh, yes, I was thinking about sensuality because I, I just put so much of that uh, stimuli in my mind, uh, you know, last week, and then I just, I had so much of that in my mind, so this is why it is arising. So knowing the causes, then you will, as much as possible, try to diminish, diminish the, the, the discourse and conditions so that it, it doesn't arise in the future. If it arises also, then you just, uh, the, 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 you just uh, banish the, 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 the causes. But you see, if it is arising, although you may not have control uh, on that, then by seeing it clearly, you, again, you see its causes, and then also you see that it is impermanent, and by itself it's going, it will be going away. So this is just one last question, but uh, it, it's a page. The, the, ref, the, the refrain of the Satipatthana Sutta says, we contemplate feelings, Vedana, and mind internally, externally, and both. Huh? Internally and externally, both. If, is this to be understood to contemplate feelings and mind states of other people. In investigating this, now and then, over some years, I have found the conditioning of my mind from Western deductive reasoning perspective and practicing not to deduce or assume another's thoughts or needs without asking externally which is taught as healthy psychological mental health practice, leads to not understanding the Buddha's instruction in this refrain, which, has a, uh, which I assume is important since it is repeated so many times throughout the sutta. Can you comment? Huh? So of course, if we, if we see in the sutta, they say, okay, now you are observing the sensation or you are observing the five aggregates, huh? inside and outside. So that means uh, you're observing the body, huh? this is you're observing your own body, and then also you're observing the body of somebody, some, someone else. This is not a problem, huh? like it's very easy, now you're observing your own body, and then you can open your eyes and see the body of another person. But also, w with the closed eyes, then you can also, uh, you know, uh, represent, you know, to have the, it's not necessarily a deduction, but it's a kind of induction. Okay, now this is the body of another person. So as much as it is externally, it is also internally. So inside and outside. So you start from inside and then you see outside. But when it comes to Vedana, then it can be questionable, you know, by way of psychological uh, health, no? So the thing is that uh, we are not here to develop psychic powers and then we should not trust that okay now, the, you look at somebody and then you see exactly what type of feeling that person experienced or what type of mind that that person experienced. So as much 
insight you have got into the arising and passing away of the feelings or of the mind or of the all kinds of phenomena, so you just see that as the process of arising and passing away, then you are also able to see that in somebody else. That means as much as you can see somebody else's body, then also you are to some extent able to see the feelings and also the, the, the different states of mind in, in somebody else. Huh? But you don't need to be very specific and to say, okay, now exactly this is what that other person is feeling or this is what that other person is thinking. It's not like that. It is just uh, a, a kind of generalization which asks you to do outside and then also to do inside. Another also interpretation is that uh, uh, inside and outside refers to uh, very subtle aspects of experience. That means inside will, will, will refer to really inside the body, whereas the outside will refer to, to, the, to the objects that, that are in contact with the surface of the body and then also with the surface of the senses. But uh, it doesn't refer to, uh, to, to the sensation and also to the, the thoughts of other people or emotions of other people, because definitely this is somebody that is, this is something that is outside your own uh, continuum of mind and, and body. So I think also it is important like uh, to to do that <laughs> type of relationship you know like you practice inside and then and then you also see the same thing outside and then eventually you see that actually there is no difference all beings alive have the same principle of mind and body so as much as it is impermanent and also just a process inside so much also it is outside so I will end up here, and I think I look at all the questions, and but I don't know if they were answered uh, appropriately. So anyway, you are still here. So, <laughs> <laughs> so now maybe you you can have a break. If you have any other questions or you know things that that were more uh, precise, you, you can ask me personally. Huh? Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.